0: Barbing, barbing. <laughs>
1: Why is it so aggressive today? Welcome to this week's podcast. I actually wanted to film it yesterday, and here's what happened, okay? No one likes a little front story, but I'm giving you one today. I got excited. I got pumped. I was really, really angry at the people involved in this case. And I'm like, listen, fiance, we got to film this right now. And he said, I'm kind of tired. And I said, you are the leak wink And we just sat there and he was like, all right, it's time for bed for both of us. You got to go. There is no leak winks in this house except for you. So it's time to hit the hay. We're back today. Now, today's case is really infuriating because if you guys remember that I covered the Coca-Cola murder, um, the Sylvia Likens case, and that one was just so People call it like the American Junko case because there's just mm. a lot going on. I mean, you have this crazy family that's abusing people, or you have this group of abusers. There's got to be so many people who know that this person's being abused, and you've got the police doing absolutely nothing. We're going to be talking about the case of Vera Jo Ragel, and I don't know if I'm saying her last name right. And this one is just going to gut you from the inside, and you're going to be really, really sad. It all starts March 27th of 2011 at around 2 a.m. So. There's this giant train that goes through Ohio. It's like one of those um, where they do shipments, so it's not necessarily like an Amtrak. There's not a bunch of people in there, like just uh, enjoying their little ride across the town. But this train operator, he's driving across the train tracks two in the morning, and he sees something laying in between the train tracks. So it's not across the train tracks like you would normally expect a human to be. You know, maybe if someone had disposed a body, it would be kind of across the train tracks. But it was it was something lying in in between the rails, mm-hmm. and so he didn't get a good look because it's the middle of the night but he thought maybe it's a baby deer maybe it's a baby deer who wanted to just like take a nap there right so he tries to stomp his brakes as immediately as possible but he runs over it and eight cars go over this this figure on the train track eight joints eight of the yeah eight oh. joints and so finally once the train is stopped he gets out to take a look and he thinks okay maybe it's a baby deer maybe it'll be okay maybe he can reach under and be like come here baby deer like let me help you but once he walks closer and closer he he realizes it's not a baby deer. It's not even a full-grown deer. It's a human. It's a naked female laying on the tracks, and she appears to be dead. She appears to be stabbed, strangled, and beaten to death.
0: But why would somebody leave it on the track that they wanted her to be found?
1: Well, there's a very specific reason. I thought so too, and the reason behind it is even more sinister and scary than than I originally thought. So once the police get called, they immediately are able to identify the body as Vera Jo Ragel. And she was born in Finley, Ohio. So I'm going to give you a little bit about her childhood. I couldn't find too much. There's a really good documentary on this called Goodnight Sugar Babe. And this one's very interesting because a lot of the people who are accused of murdering her partake in the documentary. They're interviewed and they've got no shame. I mean, it's absolutely nuts. Vera Jo Ragel, she was born in Finley, Ohio. And interesting fact about Finley, Ohio It was called the Flag State. So apparently they made a lot of flags in Ohio or maybe... They put up a lot of flags. (laughs) The flag city. That's what they called it. And she had an incredibly, incredibly rough childhood. So she was sexually assaulted by her own dad, Willard. And he's actually serving a 20 year prison sentence for rape and for harassment and all of these things. She was estranged from her own mother. So she wasn't really close with her mom. She just didn't have this great home life. She had a couple of siblings. And she really, really needed some strong parental figures that could take care of her because she was diagnosed with ADHD. And her IQ was borderline mentally impaired. So she really needed someone to take care of her. And there was nobody. And that's just pretty much how she was brought up. Now, this did not stop Vera at all. She was still outgoing. She loved to dance. She loved country music. That was like her jam. And her teachers would even get interviewed. And they said, you know, the thing with Vera is that she would do anything to help people without question. It was just like to a point where it's just too much. Like sometimes they wish that she could have stood up for herself a little bit more. They saw this in their classrooms between Vera and other teachers, but also Vera and other students. She just wanted to be accepted and she just wanted people to be like, oh my God, like you're so nice. Mm -hmm. So when Vera is 19 years old, she starts dating Zachary Brooks, who's thirteen. Now, this is where it's kind of confusing because technically, if you didn't know anything about the story, you would think, OK, well, Vera's obviously the predator of this situation. Right. But um, because she has the mental capacity of an eighth grader, it seems like mentally they were on the same development level. But eventually there, as their relationship grows, Zachary would get older and he would get smarter. Whereas in Vera's situation, she would cognitively stay at the eighth grade level. So it's just there's just a lot of weird imbalances going on. I'm not going to make an opinion about this because I really don't know how it works, like legally speaking, even. So Zachary's mom, her name is Sherry Brooks, and she's really important to the story. She is actually known as Sugar Babe. And the documentary's name is Goodnight Sugar Babe. So you're thinking, okay, she's got to be pertinent to all of this, right? What What
0: is Sugar Babe? Sugar
1: babe was just her nickname, like a sugar baby, I guess, ah, like a sugar babe. Yeah. But her name's Sherry Brooks and this is Zachary's mom. And you would think that maybe maybe she'd be a little hesitant to this. She'd be like, oh, well, I don't know. Like, let me meet her first. But immediately right off the bat, she was like, I love this relationship. Not only do I love it, but I want her to move in with us.
0: While Yours, he's 13. While
1: he's 13, she was like, I want your girlfriend to move in with us and live with us full time. Now. Wh- when
0: was this? <laughs> this is 2011?
1: Well, she passed away in 2011, about three years after she started dating Zachary. So. So it's
0: 2008? Yeah.
1: Very, very recent. Like, this wasn't even the Middle Ages where, you know, things move fast and you start getting married in your teenage years. I mean, it's insane. So Sherry Brooks, a little bit about her, which makes this even crazier, is that she already had four children that were taken away from her. So the CPS came and they took four of her kids away for sexual abuse allegations.
0: And she was the abuser?
1: Well, that's where it gets really, really iffy. So, I mean, not all of them were for sexual abuse. So, for instance, one incident, a kid was slapped in the face by the dad, cursed, and then thrown down on the couch because he was crying. So one of Sherry's kids wouldn't stop crying. The dad beat the kid up, and now Sherry's trying to cover up the abuse and didn't tell the police, didn't protect her kid, just was like, shut up about it, don't tell nobody. Now, word got out, CPS came, took that one child away. She had so many kids in that house, but they They were like, we're just going to take that one kid away. Then another incident, one of their family friends walked in on Sherry, sexually assaulting her infant son in the bathtub. So Um, CPS comes and they just take that one baby away.
0: How many kids does she have?
1: She has a ton. I mean, eventually, I think total probably close to like six, seven, nine. There's like so many that were taken away There's so many that left and like ran away And then there's a lot that like stayed with her briefly And then eventually went out
0: Okay. So it's kind
1: of all over the place right And it's crazy because this isn't really The most poppin thing in true crime Like it's not that well known of a case This case? Yeah so you have like this Mm. one documentary on it I mean this girl doesn't even have a Wikipedia page Which like bothers me I mean I don't really think Wikipedia is like the end all be all But like Really? So why would Sherry want another person in our house when she's getting kids taken left and right? Like what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the theory, the first theory that comes around is that Vera wasn't talking to her mom at the time. So her and Vera's mom are estranged and Vera gets disability checks. So if Sherry is the one that's taking care of Vera, she gets those checks. She's trying to get paid. So the thing that kind of enforces this theory is that Sherry herself was on disability. And most of the kids that were living under her roof at the time, which was about, I believe, four or five sons, in and out. So, like, there was a kid named Punky. He would kind of, like, leave and then not stay there, and then he would come back. So, like, I would say, give or take, like, four or five kids, right? Now, most of them were on disability. So, they were each receiving $700 a month. And Sherry does not work. She just cashes in everyone's checks. All of the kids, all their checks go to Sherry Brooks. So, Vera moves in with the family, and this is a huge family and a very, very small house. There's tons of people, and they also had a pig that lived in the house. A full grown pig And they just let it poop anywhere So I can't even imagine The smells going on Inside of that house Now Vera She was just excited I mean think about it Like her She had this really shitty relationship With her parents the whole time And finally Finally she not only found a boyfriend But she found You know Such an accepting mother figure So she's like Of course I want to move in Like this is amazing Once she gets into the Brooks house The abuse goes rampant They take away Vera's phone immediately They did not allow her to have contact with any of her siblings, her sister that she was really close with, even her mom. They were like, you can't talk to any of your family because they're evil. Kind of like a cult. So she was forced to give her phone to Zachary, who gave it to Sherry Brooks. She wasn't even allowed to talk unless Sherry gave her the go ahead, like inside the house. So if like they're sitting at the living room table... They didn't have a living room table if they were sitting on the couch you know and she wanted to say hey i have a great idea sherry'd be like ah, did i allow you to speak is that not insane? She wasn't even allowed to leave the house. They would bring her around town so that she couldn't like escape. So every time that they would go out, typically it would be to the soup kitchen or a Salvation Army, which is kind of like a goodwill situation, right? Mm-hmm. And so they would take her and she would see her family members because it's like a small town, you know? And so she would see some uncles and cousins. And every time they saw Vera, they'd be like, oh, Vera. And she would smile at them. And then she would quickly put on her hoodie and say, can't talk, can't talk, can't talk. Because if she talked to them, she would go home with the brooks and she would get physically abused. Vera's entire job at this house was to rub Sherry's feet. Listen, I don't care if you guys are on those foot websites. I don't care how much you love feet. If you see this woman, you don't want to see her feet. I don't want to see her feet. I can't imagine rubbing her feet. And I don't know if it's because I'm biased and I hate Sherry so much. But she is just an evil woman. So her feet had to be rubbed like multiple hours every single day. You know, she was yeah. like, my feet hurt. You got to rob them. So she would hit Vera with a stick on the head if she didn't rub it the way that Sherry wanted it to be rubbed. And Vera would constantly just keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now, Sherry herself even confirms this story, except she just conveniently omits the whole hitting with the stick on the head part. So she would tell people, Well, Vera would rub my feet, and I would tell her she wouldn't have to, but she kept doing it. And she would rub my feet and rub my feet, and then all of a sudden she would be like, Oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And Sherry set it up as if Vera is just this poor. Poor girl who just feels like she's always doing something wrong. Mm. And Sherry claimed that she would ask Vera, what are you sorry about? You didn't do anything wrong. Stop apologizing. Mm. But the rest of the Brooks family, they remembered. She got bonked on the head with a stick. That's why she's apologizing. What's what's wrong with you, Sherry? Mm. Now, Sherry even forced her to sleep with a pig. And the pig was not like a cute mini pig. I'm sure some of you guys are like picturing like one of those cute little pets. No, it was like a full grown pig. And it was just pooping everywhere. And she was forced to sleep in the closet most of the time with the pig.
0: What is she doing? What are they doing with the pig?
1: I don't know why they even have a pig. <laughs> I don't know. Like I looked up the address of this place and uh-huh. it's like, it's not a place with a backyard. Like there's no massive backyard. It's like not on a field. It's not on a farm. I don't know why they have a pig. Huh. Maybe Sherry just thought it was cute. Okay. She seems like the type that like, is, it's, like, oh, uh, that's so cute.
0: Like one of those accidents. That you just, accidentally come home with a pig no you buy a mini pig and <laughs> <turn into laughs> then yes.
1: it's all a scam when they're like it's a teacup pig and you've never lived life unless you've had an accidental pet pig That's just what it is. That's just the thesis. So they kind of treated her like a maid and all of the Brooke siblings were in on it. Like even her boyfriend, Zachary. They just nobody would do anything around the house except for Vera. So she was forced to do all of the housework and she was not allowed to make eye contact with people. What is that not insane? So she would just hang her head and she wouldn't talk, she would not make eye contact with people. Now, from the get go, police were getting calls to this house constantly 911 calls. And that was Vera. She would try to find a phone, she would get a landline, she would steal someone's cell phone or even her own phone. And she would call 911 and say, I'm being held against my will, like, please help me. And she would oh, give the so address. She,
0: she is looking. Yeah, she's
1: looking for help. So when the police get there, I mean, she's got cuts. She's got bruises all over the place. She's bloodied up sometimes. And they would ask her, hey, uh, what happened? And suddenly she would change her tune because Sherry is standing right next to her. And she would say, oh, I just got into a fight with someone over something stupid. You know, I'm fine. I'm really, really happy here.
0: And then police leave?
1: Yeah, they would just leave. So the police would be like, okay, like, have a good Tuesday. The forks.
0: What's the problem here?
1: So I think, I mean, obviously there's a lot of fault on the police because they should have immediately separated her from the rest of the family when they ask her about what actually happened. Mm. But um, I just think, you know, yeah, I mean, honestly, they're to blame. I don't think there's anything else I can say. And the police station even called her a frequent flyer, like, you know, on an airplane. But Uh she was such a frequent caller that immediately if she just said one word, they knew it was Vera. They knew which house to go to. And they know what typically the problem was. She's being held hostage. She'd probably have some injuries. But once she gets there, no one would cooperate.
0: Are you kidding me? Yeah. And I'm just like, there's a name for it.
1: Yeah, they called her a frequent flyer. So
0: when people, when police say it's a frequent flyer, meaning like they think this person just bullshitting.
1: No, or just like they probably have an inkling. So it's kind of said in a way that the police knew that Vera was being abused, but there was nothing they could do because she would always come up with this massive lie that usually the Brooks told her to tell. Now, I think it's the police's fault that they didn't get her checked out. They didn't factor in the fact that she has a mental disability. They also didn't try to get her separated from the Brooks family to actually question her. Yeah. Imagine your abuser is just standing right next to you. What are you going to do? Are you really going to say, oh, yeah, they're beating the shit out of me? No, you're going to be like, I'm fine. I fell down the stairs.
0: That is so bizarre. Okay. Yeah.
1: So I'm thinking to myself, OK, there is like no way there is no way that this entire family is willing to go like willing to risk going to jail for kidnapping, holding someone hostage for abusing someone, maybe even torture. Right. For mm-hmm. seven hundred dollars a month. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. And that's when you find out about Sherry's real motive. So Sherry Brooks, you know, the mom, she has an obsession with babies. I mean, she constantly wanted to be surrounded by little children and particularly a little baby girl. She did not like baby boys. She did not like kids. She didn't like toddlers. She just liked infants like newborns. You know, maybe three years old max, but she didn't like them when they grew up to be children. So most of her kids, you know, they're in their teenagers. She didn't give a fork about them. When they're like 12, she's like, I don't forking care about you. She just wanted a newborn baby girl.
0: Is now- this some really sick?
1: It's like sick in a weird way. I know you're thinking sick in the sexually abusive way, but I think sick in a even worse way. So, Sher- well, maybe not worse. So, Sherry, she was abused by her own father when she was really young. He's actually the one that nicknamed her Sugar Babe. So, she would be constantly called Sugar Babe, and then she would get assaulted by her own dad. And eventually, she was put into foster care because people found out her mom did nothing to stop this. So, they're like, we can't, we can't trust you guys as parents. So, we're going to take Sherry away. And she was placed in foster care. Now, when Sherry is 16 years old, she's been in foster care this entire time. She comes home to her mom and said, mom, I had a baby and the foster care system won't let me have my baby. They just took my baby from it. So Sherry's mom is pissed. She's like, you're telling me that you just had our first grandkid. And now the foster care system won't even let you have your kid. I mean, did they just snatch a baby from you? No, 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 no. I'm taking you. We're walking our asses down to the foster care system and we're demanding they give me my baby back. Mm -hmm. So Sherry's like, yeah, thank you, mom. So they walk to the foster care system and it turns out it wasn't Sherry's baby. It was actually just another baby girl that was placed into foster care recently. So she's an infant. And so the foster care people are like, can we talk to you about your daughter, Sherry? And so Sherry's mom is like, fine, what is the whole deal? So they sit her down and they say, hey, your daughter, Sherry, is a complete pathological liar. Like, it's insane. She has this own little fantasy world that she does, and she will tell you completely something so completely far-fetched, very convincing, and you're just going to believe her. So she told everyone that she birthed this, this baby. So many people believed her, even though we have the record that she didn't birth this baby But also like, we got this baby, not from her. So like, what's going on? So that was kind of like the first inkling that Sherry had this infatuation with babies. What do you think is the biggest scandal that has happened at the local grocery store? The one that you shop at? Maybe you're thinking there was a shopping cart scandal. Maybe someone stole a shopping cart. Well, I'm going to tell you about my local grocery store's dirty little secret. And I'm positive that this happens in most grocery stores, even the one that you probably shop at. So every single year, billions of pounds of food just go to waste, often because it doesn't live up to the strict cosmetic standards of grocery stores. Is that not insane? Don't you wish that there was a way to prevent all of that waste? I mean, think about it. Not every mango is rotten and not every mango is perfect with no blemishes. We're all imperfect. So why do we hold our groceries to a different standard? Imperfect Foods is on a mission to reimagine grocery delivery for a kinder, less wasteful world. So they deliver sustainable, affordable groceries. That includes produce, quality protein, eggs and dairy, and a bunch of pantry staples. So literally everything that you might need straight to your door. Plus, they're always adding fun and tasty new discoveries for you to try every single week. It's a great way for me to skip the parking lots, the crowds, the lines, and then always those people that never put their shopping cart back where it belongs. And you just get to go right into the good part of grocery shopping, which means just eating. All you have to do is sign up, create your flexible schedule and personalized grocery plan, and then shop online each week and get affordable, sustainable groceries delivered directly to your door. With Imperfect Foods, grocery shopping fits seamlessly into your life every week and is a tasty adventure. Sign up with Imperfect Foods to save time save money, save food from going to waste because seriously, it's such a shame. They're always fresh. They're always tasty. And right now, Imperfect Foods is offering you guys 20% off plus free shipping on your first order when you go to imperfectfoods.com and make sure to use promo code ROTTEN. Try Imperfect Foods now for a limited time. Get 20% off plus free shipping on your first order. Go to imperfectfoods.com and use ROTTEN to sign up. That's 20% off plus free shipping at imperfectfoods.com. Offer code ROTTEN for the people in the back. So Sherry's got this infatuation with babies. She grows up and she starts having babies of her own. Now, she has a lot of sons, and most of the sons either were taken away from her, were hit by their dads, and she didn't really give a fork, or she even sexually assaulted one of her sons. But finally, she has her first daughter by the name of Maria. Now, every other baby she had abused that baby, whether it's physically, sexually, or let someone else abuse that baby, everyone claims that she did right by her. And I quote, did right by her. She kept her for a whole year. So all of Sherry's family were super proud of Sherry. Sherry's parents were proud of her. They were like, finally, you can keep a kid for more than a year before they get turned into CPS, which I'm like, that's not really. That's not. That doesn't make me feel good. Mm -hmm. So that was the whole situation with Maria. Now, one day, Maria, she's having some problems. They take her to the hospital, and the hospital finds out that she has been raped. She was only one years old so i mean no one knows what happened sherry claims that she has no idea who did this why they would do this to her but either way cps took that baby away now i still have no idea why cps didn't go and take the rest of her kids away or like never let her have kids i mean i guess that's illegal so like who could
0: have assaulted the child maybe
1: a dad maybe a family friend you know, you never really know, right? I don't know who Sherry was yes. letting have contact with her child. And so they take the baby away. Now, Sherry was heartbroken. And in the same house, so in the same apartment building that was turned, it was like a house turned into an apartment unit, there was another baby that was around the same age as Maria. And her name was Vera. And Sherry tried to kidnap her on multiple occasions. Now, thankfully, she was never successful, but it's the same Vera.
0: What? Yes. This was year, years and years ago.
1: 24 years ago. They lived in the same apartment, and Sherry, after getting her first daughter taken away from her, tried to kidnap her neighbor's daughter on multiple occasions. And her neighbor's daughter was Vera. Now, what makes it even worse is that 24 years later, she will take the baby of the baby she tried to steal. Does that make sense? That was confusion,
0: huh? Whose baby?
1: So 24 years later, after Uh she tried to kidnap Vera, Uh now she will kidnap Vera's baby. So she unsuccessfully... You know, could not kidnap Vera and now she's going to try to take Vera's baby. She had this obsession with just baby girls. That was it. So she kept popping out babies and most of them were sons and she was just really pissed off by this. So much so that she kind of gave up on the whole process. Now I do think that Sherry had a ton of medical issues and medical conditions that she couldn't probably have any more kids and maybe that's why she stopped having children but Sherry constantly encouraged her sons to have kids. She wanted all of her sons to have at least one kid by the time that they 16 or 17 years old. And this is like in the 2000s. Like this isn't in the middle ages, you know? This is crazy. Now, everyone that gets pregnant with their son's baby, Sherry would constantly say, I hope you have a girl. I can't wait. I hope you have a girl with my son. Now, Gina was a girl that fell in love with Sherry's second oldest son. Mm -hmm. So one of Sherry's son gets a girlfriend named Gina. And as soon as Gina got pregnant, that's when things got weird. So Gina claims that the minute that they found out that she was pregnant, they kept stalking her. Sherry would send all of the sons like four or five sons at a time to go stalk her to make sure that all she did was work home school though is it they didn't want her to do anything dangerous just in case she had a baby girl in her stomach and they were just putting a ton of stress onto gina now gina ended up miscarrying and this would be a very very dramatic moment because sherry suddenly flipped a switch she didn't give a fork about gina anymore she was just like okay then bye you don't have to be here and so gina ended up moving to her mom in kentucky and got got the shit out of town she was like bye like this brooks family is insane so finally march of 2009 she convinces vera to get pregnant so vera is 22 years old at this point and zachary is 16 and sherry kept telling zach now that your girlfriend's pregnant if that baby is a girl you have to sign over all the parental rights to me do you understand okay And he was, like, totally chill with it. So Sherry would go around and saying, that's my baby in there. Like, literally pointing at Vera's stomach while she's pregnant and saying, that's my baby in there. But, like, not in a cute grandma way. Like, in a truly predatory, like, I'm gonna steal this child away from you and give you no rights as a parent type of way. Now, she goes through with her pregnancy there wasn't any trouble there wasn't any medical issues now she's about one month away from giving birth and sherry's birthday is in november her birthday is november 3rd Mm -hmm. now vera's due date is december 3rd but sherry really wanted to have the same birthday as the baby that was like her dream she was like imagine if me the mom that's what she said the mama the mama has the same birthday as the baby which it's like you're not even the mom, you're the grandma, but whatever, right? She was like, that would be amazing. So she started giving Vera castor oil and orange juice. Now, castor oil, if you look it up, it says that it's kind of like one of those old midwives tales where if you're... This is only for when you're like past due. Like your baby should have been out like two weeks ago. Your baby is just taking out free rent right now. Like, come on, get out of there, you little sucker, right? That is around the time that maybe, maybe if you want, you take two tablespoons to induce labor, castor oil, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know how medically sound this is, but it's kind of like one of those old midwives things. But because Vera was a month away from giving birth, they forced her to drink three bottles of castor oil.
0: Cause they want the baby to be, be a month now.
1: early, so that she could be bird, like birthed on the same day of wow. Sherry's birthday.
0: When uh, do they know if it's a girl? Yeah, it is a girl, mm-hmm.
1: and that's why Sherry was obsessed. Wow! So she is originally due date was December sixth, but she was born November fourth.
0: Oh, the baby did come out.
1: The day after Sherry's birthday. And Sherry would actually brag to all of her friends and even the documentary. And she said, not on my birthday, but we got it close. That's what she would say.
0: Wow. Okay. Now,
1: she omitted the part where the baby had to stay in the hospital for heart issues because the baby was premature. So great when sherry was asked like why do you think that the baby decided to come out a month early Does it does it have anything to do with the castor oil that all of your kids are telling you know people that you forced her to drink and she said no the baby came out early to have pumpkin pie and mashed potatoes with mama on thanksgiving that's what she said so willa dean is what they chose for the name of the baby girl and once willa dean was born It got a lot worse for Vera. For the next two years, they would constantly make Vera feel like she can't even love her own baby. If Vera even touched her own baby, Zachary would beat her up if the baby kept trying to go near vera because i don't know if maybe like babies can tell that you're the mom right but the baby would constantly try to latch onto vera or like try to hold vera try to hug vera vera would have to ignore the baby or like gently push it away because she knew that she would get beat if she even showed her own baby love like this was so traumatic now once willadine gets older they would constantly tell willadine that her mom is sherry the one who birthed her is sherry and not vera so even Willa Dean started calling Sherry mom.
0: So weird.
1: So strange, right? Yeah. Now, six months before the murder, their sister calls the police department. She's like, listen, I'm telling you, my sister is being held hostage by the Brooks family. Like, what are you doing? She's being tortured. She's being beat up. Like, come on. After now,
0: five years.
1: After like two years, yeah. And the police were like, okay, well, what's her name? How old is she? And they never filed an official report from Vera's sister, because she was over the age. They're like, she's an adult. And it's fine Like she can walk out If she wants to Which mm. kind of mind boggles me Because adults get held hostage All the time Like what do you mean You can mm. get kidnapped When you're not a kid So I don't know why They didn't even Like yeah, her just co- like
0: Frequent flyers
1: Frequent flyers And also you're reporting it But eh, w- What a coinkadink Yeah Yeah So her cognitive level Was around the 8th grade Now all of her teachers Were really upset by this When they found out later Right And they said It doesn't make sense Would you trust An 8th grader To tell you If they feel safe In their home No you would not you would take them out you would do examinations so why would you just let vera stay there it doesn't make sense just because legally her age Mm -hmm. is an adult like that it doesn't make sense so now at this point zachary he becomes even more abusive zachary didn't like being a dad he just like wasn't into it you know he was sick of it he felt like i'm being tied down by this baby i'm being tied down by this girl that my family took hostage and that we torture on a daily basis and we cash her disability checks. But like, I want to see other girls, you know, I want to, I want to go explore what's out there. Now, Vera, she was jealous. I mean, she genuinely thought that Zachary loved her up until this point. She was like, this is, this is the father of my child, even though it's not my child, you know, this is, you know, the man of my dreams. Like she just really, really loved him. So Zachary, he would go and cheat on her. He would go and see other girls. She would find out about it. And if she ever got sad, if Vera ever got sad that he was cheating on her, he would physically get so violent, so angry, and he would viciously beat her. Now, if you ask Sherry, Zachary's mom, like hey you saw that happen didn't you that's what everyone says that you watched zachary beat vera and you're okay with that like as a mom and she said i raise my kids to not hit a girl but if they're gonna put themselves in a man's place then yeah do it i'm sorry what
0: she called it a man's place
1: yeah yeah i guess like demanding loyalty and being monogamous is a man's place (laughs) i'm so confused so the only person at this point that has ever tried to stick up for Vera was one of the brothers named Punky. That was his nickname, Punky Brooks. Now the thing with Punky is that there's no, you know, evidence that he was in on the abuse of Vera, but Punky was really busy. Punky was part of that Crips gang and he was busy. He was a like a in his little organization of his local Crips gang, he was like a top leader. Oh, so
0: actually the actual gang.
1: The actual gang, yeah. I mean, I don't think they're like an LLC incorporated. Are they? But like he was, you know, he was kind of high up in like the local organization. So he was really, really busy. And the only son that Sherry would ever be scared of was Punky. All the whole family was terrified of Punky. He just kind of had this like air about him. He was, you know, heavy on this gang activity. He was heavy about, you know, doing the right thing in his own kind of weird gang way, right? And so there would be times where he would stop the abuse on Vera, but most of the time he wasn't even home. So if anyone could have saved Vera, at this point, it's freaking Punky. Now, one day, Punky's walking down a rural highway with his girlfriend, Heather, and it was super dark. There's no streetlights. I mean, it's a rural highway. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people said that they were headed to go see fireworks in the nearby town, but um, when you interview the family in the documentary, they all said, yeah, heroin. He was going to go buy heroin. That's what's going on. Like, it was, there was no fireworks. Are you fucking kidding me? It's not the 4th of July. It was heroin. And so he was walking with his girlfriend, and he was hit by a car, and he died what yeah
0: that makes zero sense
1: yeah i mean but like when you think i don't know if you've been on a rural highway i haven't either but it's like just just like one lane usually
0: but still i know Yeah, that sounds how suspicious especially when he's like part
1: of a gang yeah yeah (laughs) yeah like
0: come on rural highway like you can see a car coming
1: yeah it's a little weird you could have totally walked away. yeah you could see a car coming you could hear hear it yeah
0: exactly are you kidding me
1: yeah, so Sherry was heartbroken by this, and she too didn't believe it was what about an accident. Gr- girlfriend was there. Yeah, and she was fine. So that's why Sherry was like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, it's the girlfriend." Heather pushed Punky. So that he would die. She just didn't want to be a part of this relationship anymore. Instead of being the you know full grown woman that she should have been. And broken up with Punky. She pushed Punky in front of the car. And he freaking died. So Sherry goes around telling all of her family members this. And she asked of her sons to do her a favor. Which is to viciously beat up Heather. So they brought her out into the street. They beat her up. And they almost curb stomped her. What's up? Which, okay, so from my, this is my knowledge when I was in high school, I had heard about it. I don't know if the definition has changed or maybe it's different. But when you force someone, you know what, I'm going to Google it because what if it's not right? And then I just seem like a psychopath. Oh, no, I'm right. So it's, oh God, those pictures. It's when you put someone's head on a sidewalk curb and you start stomping on their head, and there's like a ridge, so everything gets broken. Um,
0: Whoa. The version
1: that I knew about in high school, and I don't want to dig deeper on Google because, well, the FBI, but also the pictures are graphic. They would make you bite the curb and no. they would kick you on the back so that your ah. jaw and your teeth would shatter.
0: Oh, that's too much.
1: Yeah. So they were like, let's curb stomp her. But eventually she didn't end up getting curb stomped, thankfully. But her nose was broken. Her entire face was, you know, bloodied up. And she just kept screaming, sorry, sorry. And Sherry told her, that will teach you to never mess with my family ever again. And then just like left. Now, you would think that maybe Sherry has like a moment where she's like, okay, like I'm I'm grieving. I'm like, you know, facing this death that in my family, my son died. Maybe I can be a better mom to the other sons that are here. Right. Well, no, the abuse towards Vera actually got worse. So they had Punky's ashes in one of the rooms and right next to his ashes, they had a bunch of like snacks, like Kit Kat -Kat bars, because that was like his favorite thing. And they would lock there in that room for days and told her that she couldn't leave so she was starving and now the kit kat bar it's not like tied up in a bow it's not inside of you know his urn i guess is what you call it right Mm -hmm. and so she saw the chocolate bar thought it was just a random kit kat bar laying around and she ate it and she got viciously beat up by the entire family now this is when zachary decides you know what I gotta amp this shit up like i gotta beat her up more because i want to join the crips now i want to take my punky brother's place and be on the top of the local organization of crips so he starts deciding that in order to prove his Cripness, cripness i don't know okay that he would just start beating up vera on a daily basis he would even call and text his friends and punky's like baby mamas i don't know how to say that mother of their children like mother of punky's kids he would call up all of them and ask if they want to come over and beat up vera and they would just come and they would beat her up and i don't know why like maybe he had lied about something that vera had done that was really really bad towards punky or they just thought it was like so tough like yeah let's beat up a defenseless kidnapped disabled girl because we're bad bitches like i don't really know i don't know but they would beat her up So six months before the murder, we had Vera's sister pleading with the police that her sister is being held hostage, right? We had a couple more domestic calls afterwards. And then two months before Vera's murder, we have another situation where the police get involved. So what actually happened was Willa Dean got hurt. So the baby got hurt and Sherry didn't know what happened. I don't know what happened to the baby, right? But it was like a small scratch on the head. And Sherry lied and told the entire family that Vera knowingly and purposely bonked the baby's head on the edge of the coffee table. So Zachary being the amazing father that he is, he got so mad that he went over to Vera and started punching her in the face. And he kept saying, why did you hurt my baby? Why did you hurt my baby? Now Vera doesn't have any answer because she didn't even know the baby was hurt. She's shocked. She's confused. She's hurt. She's scared. And so Zachary is like, Oh, you don't want to talk to me, bitch. Fine. I'll go get someone else. So he gets his aunt. Now her name is Samantha and she's like, not that important, but she comes over and she's like, all right, Vera, why'd you hurt your baby? You know, why'd you hurt Willa Dean? Well, What was the issue? Was she crying or something? and again Vera's like not answering because she's like wait what's going on I don't even know what's happening and so Samantha keeps punching her in the face as well so like this entire family is forked up and they all deserve prison time now at this point a neighbor calls for a domestic violence call they heard all of this they're like some shit's going down in that house again so call the police now when the police arrive again she came outside and she said I tripped down the stairs like I hurt myself and I tripped down the stairs it was my fault and that's how I got hurt but this time the police don't believe it because she had a broken nose she had a concussion and she was bleeding a lot
0: <laughs> police like we can't pretend that we don't see this right yeah,
1: guys because if we can we will but i don't think we can like the this police, is a little
0: a- too obvious yeah guys, guys like
1: i know we gotta skip lunch for this one guys but are we i mean this is our job right maybe it's not i don't know so they're like <sighs> okay well we need to talk to you can we talk to you about what's going on and vera looks at sherry And Sherry says, yeah, you can talk to them. And so the police at this point, you're thinking, "Okay, well, they're going to separate those two because it seems like Sherry's the one that's in charge. Right. But Sherry says, no, you can't talk to Vera without me because Vera, Vera, she's scared of people. She only will talk to you if I'm there and I'm like her guardian. Now, it's insane that the police still didn't separate them. But um, yeah, they did not separate them. She was taken to the hospital. Sherry was there. They said that it doesn't make sense that you fell down the stairs. And that's when Sherry told the police, yeah, it doesn't make sense because she lied to you. She's a little liar. What really happened was that her boyfriend, do you know what, Demetrius Jones? So he's this black guy. And Vera's dating this black guy who lives in the town over. And his name is Demetrius Jones. And not only is he super abusive, but he is also a ghost. This guy doesn't exist, okay? Sometimes he's called Demetrius Jones. Sometimes he's Desmond Thompson. But he's always a black guy who just comes over, who's dating Vera allegedly, and just comes over, punches her in the face, and just like magically disappears into thin air. Oh. And the police were like, oh, so your boyfriend hit you? And she's like, yeah. So Vera's going along with it, and she's like, yeah, his name is... Wait, what was his name? Is it Demetrius this time, or is it Desmond? And Sherry's like, Demetrius Jones.
0: And the police like, no suspicion. Sounds no suspicion. great. Job done.
1: Doesn't make sense at all, but you know what? We will hand it over to the next jurisdiction where Demetrius Jones allegedly resides. Okay. Yeah, sounds about racist to me, okay? So the police just believe it, and they just move on. I could talk about this for 25 hours, but I won't because I don't want to bore you to death. Did you guys know, fun fact, that 80% of the immune system is influenced by your gut? And the same goes for your pets. Supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables your pets to better fight environmental allergies. Trust me, I have two French bulldogs. I know all about environmental allergies for pets. So Solid Gold was the first holistic pet food company in America that started in 1974 and they're passionate about gut health because a healthy digestive system positively impacts the immune system and overall wellness of the pets. So if you guys don't know about them, they have a nutritional platform that's inspired by their founding belief that high quality food is the way to go. I mean, that's the best way to impact your pet's mind, body, spirit, So for over 45 years, Solid Gold has revolutionized the holistic pet food category. They have a recipe for any dog or cat's dietary needs. And my dog, she's got like 25 dietary needs, okay? They've got healthy whole grain, grain grain-free options, wet foods, supplements like sea meal, and 100% human-grade bone broth that your dogs will seriously thank you for. They love it. Solid Gold foods are a little bit different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods. They balance with living probiotics, and they fuel with omega-3 and 6 Fatty acids, so it completely supports the gut health and nourishes your pet inside and out. So right now, to save thirty percent off on select Solid Gold products, go to solidgoldpet.com/rotten. That's solidgoldpet.com/rotten to save thirty percent on Solid Gold products. Remember, solidgoldpet.com/rotten for the people in the back. Now, for the rest of the story to make sense, I got to give you a little backstory. I got to give you a little flashback Friday. okay? so we've got Travis, who is Sherry's nephew. Now, this happened years before Vera even moved into the Brooks house. But when Travis was 16 years old, he got kicked out of his house. So he comes and lives with Sherry, his aunt. And he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to hang out with my cousin, the Brooks brothers, because they're so cool, right? And they started skate I know the, the company. <laughs> I was thinking about that too just now. I was like, am I going to get sued? Maybe. So they start skateboarding and he tells the Brooks brothers that he's going to do something so freaking gnarly. He's going to jump the local train tracks as the train comes. He's done it before. So don't get freaked out, right? That's what he told the Brooks brothers. Now, as Wait, he's jumping. So it's like you jump right before the train hits you. So you jump across, you like leap across like a little deer.
0: Okay. You're so badass.
1: Yeah. I don't understand the purpose of this other than like, I guess, badass brownie points. But in my world, it would be stupid ass brownie points and you would get no brownies. You would, you'd probably be dead, I guess. Right. So he jumped, he slipped and I'm going to use Sherry's words, quote, off came his head end quote. So he was decapitated by the oncoming train. In front of the Brooks Brothers.
0: He legit wanted to do that.
1: Yeah, he slipped. Now, he's 16, so I can't really shit on him too much. And what makes it even worse is Sherry's great words. So after he became decapitated by the oncoming train, he was, and I quote, smashed up like hamburger meat. That's what Sherry said about her own nephew that died. He got smashed up like hamburger meat.
0: You think he chose to do that?
1: I'm not sure. That's like all up in the air. Was he forced? Was he peer pressured? That's why I can't really shit on him because he's sixteen and he yeah, you know he's so
0: young. Why is yeah anyway.
1: Yeah, when I was sixteen I it's I get like, some so dumb. Stuff, you but know? this is so weird. Like
0: his her I mean, even her son. Yeah. The death of her son and then yeah. this there's so many people just dying.
1: This whole family is really I think the only word is just kinda depraved. Like I can't even say evil because for some reason evil makes me feel like there's some master manipulation going on. But Mm -hmm. this family is just flat out like kind of, depraved i mean there is incest that we'll get into later and she did sexually assault her children so it gets even worse now keep that in mind because it's going to become important now everything starts getting more and more tense in the house for whatever reason i think punky's death just kind of sprung everything into just everything's on vera every every part of every reason that everything sucks is vera's fault so one day sherry asks vera to come outside to help clean the rabbit cage like they just had a rabbit cage outside with a bunch of rabbits in there and they had a tarp on top of the rabbit cage and it would have four bricks on each corner so that the tarp wouldn't like fly away in the wind right now sherry claims that vera took off one of these bricks and threw them at sherry's feet sherry's beloved feet that needs to be massaged multiple times a day now we can probably assume that vera did not do this if anything maybe the tarp had flipped the brick over and it landed on sherry's feet but Mm -hmm. that was kind of when the plan of murdering vera started she was really really upset sherry's feet is like You would think it's like her moneymaker. It's not. But I mean, these are like her most coveted possession. Her feet. She's like, how dare you?
0: She likes feet and daughter.
1: I mean, I guess like the whole feet thing is like they're just always in pain. So she thought that maybe Vera wanted her to be in more pain. Uh. So she's like, you little sick person, I guess. And she told the rest of her family that Vera is trying to injure her, trying to kill her, trying Mm -hmm. to take away her feet. She's, oh, my God, I got to get my foot amputated. She was just like kind of doing the most. She did not need to get her foot amputated, but whatever. Now, at this point, they start talking about murdering Vera in front of Vera. While she's just sitting there And they would say You know what the best way to be? Is if we let her get run over by the train Because that means there's no fingerprints That means there's no evidence Because she would become And I quote Hamburger meat So while they're talking about The future murder of Vera In front of Vera They have a new visitor Knock knock On their door In comes Danny Bixler Now Danny Bixler is Is Sherry's cousin's son Mm
0: Mm-hmm
1: so I guess it's uh, like for simplicity reasons we'll just call Danny Blixler like the Brooks Brothers cousin right mm-hmm. so he's the cousin and he had recently just gotten out of prison for serving a three year prison term for uh, just like a bunch of shit okay like he just went wild he's also part of the Crips gang he actually has a teardrop tattoo on his face meaning that he murdered someone now I couldn't find any record that he did murder someone if he got off on like manslaughter charges but um, he had a teardrop on his face right it's crazy it's crazy, it's crazy. <laughs> like really? I thought it was was just a thing amongst rappers, like teardrops on their face. Mainly little Wayne, okay. Or like always tired post Malone. But I never really thought that people in real life just like walked around with teardrop tattoos. I guess they do so he had a girlfriend that was waiting for him and they had only been dating for like a week they had maybe exchanged some letters while they were in prison and they were like yeah we're gonna get out and we're gonna do it we're gonna fork so his girlfriend was Nicole Peters and they decided that they were gonna go to the local park and they were just gonna like ride on the swing set super romantic we love full grown gangsters just hanging out at the park (laughs) where I want to raise my kids for sure right? and so he decides that Nicole wants to get on a swing set but there's already another teenager sitting there So he says, hey, teenager, get the fork off the swing set. And the teenager being a teenager is like, no. Like, do you have a kid? Then no. I mean, why? We're just all a bunch of adults hanging out at a park. Why do do you get rain over the swing set, right? I get it if you had a kid, but no. And all of a sudden, Danny Bixler just yeets him off the swing set and starts violently bashing his head against the floor. So witnesses, they call the police, they get a good look at the couple, and they hear police sirens. I mean, they knew that this was going to be an assault charge. It was going to be a lengthy battle in court. They were, they were going to do some serious time, right? So they fleed that town and went to the neighboring town and started staying at the Brooks house.
0: Uh.
1: Now, Danny and his family and Sherry's family are really complex. It's, it's really intense. So Danny's dad is Sherry's cousin, like I said, and they were nicknamed in their family as the Kissing Cousins
0: oh they used to kiss yeah
1: and sherry's first child was actually with him with her cousin
0: oh my god
1: yeah big danny danny bixler's dad he wasn't in the picture anymore the the kissing cousin was sherry he wasn't in the picture anymore because he stabbed his wife's lover and then he drove an 18 ton truck on a high speed chase with the police on a highway putting a ton of people in danger so he's locked up for a really long time forever so I'm just that was like a little side note for how strange this entire family is. So when Danny and Nicole come to live with the Brooks family, they were so excited because, you know, Danny Bixler, he's part of the Crips. And he's like, man, where's my man, Punky? I'm so excited. The Crips are reunited. And that is when Sherry tells Danny that Punky has died because Vera murdered Punky. Vera! Vera! murdered a gang oh, member man. now Danny being you know the hardcore crip that he is he's like we got to do something about this there's a code there's a code in this brotherhood you know we can't just we can't just let her get away with it so he started doing most of the abuse on Vera he would get these metal locker um, you know when you go to like school there's little dial locks yeah yeah well he would lock it attached to a belt on one side and he would just swing the belt around and hit Vera all over he grabbed a paddle that had like it was called paddle number three he would beat her with the paddle and it seemed like danny and nicole his girlfriend had a little sadistic thing about it every time they would beat vera together they would just like rush over and start making out while she's like crying in pain on the floor and then it started escalating so after beating her really badly they would run up to the room that they were staying in and then just loudly have sex for the whole family to hear nobody cared everyone thought it was kind of comical And then Sherry started instigating more abuse because she kept saying, you know, Danny, I didn't want to tell you this because you were so upset that Vera murdered Punky. But, you know, Vera slept with every single one of my sons. Isn't that crazy? And she told me in private that she can't wait to sleep with you. And he's like, I would never. First of all, I got a girlfriend. And second of all, you know, Crips. I don't know. Like he was just so pissed off. I don't know why he got so triggered and so pissed off by this, but the beating got so bad that he broke every bone in her face. And it seemed like they weren't the only ones getting off on it because Sherry would go around and constantly tell her sons, doesn't Vera look so cute with those black eyes? She looks like a cute little squirrel. So after all of this abuse, after every bone in her face was broken, they took her to a soup kitchen and the volunteers were shook. They gave her soup and they constantly talked in the back about how, did you see that one girl? It looked like she went through the windshield of a car. But for some reason, nothing happened from that. I don't know if they didn't report it or I don't know if the police didn't really give a fork.
0: What does windshield of a car mean?
1: Like she went like she got into a car accident and flew out from the front glass like that's how badly bruised you know just bloody just really bad right Mm. and then Danny started stabbing Vera so he would slowly torture her grab a kitchen knife and start stabbing her in the legs and Shay would walk over and she would say oh my god did he just stab you and she would say let's see if this is a really bad stab pretty much and she would stick her finger in the hole of the stab and she claimed that one time it went down all the way to her knuckles, and she said this in the documentary, like Danny stabbed her, and so I yeah, I went down to my knuckles i 'm like w- what the family would force Farrah to pick up and eat dog poop when she was on her menstrual cycle. They would assault her with a toosh- toothbrush and then force her to brush her teeth with it after
0: oh my, God. they
1: sodomized her with a plunger. <laughs> And this is where the cover story part takes place. So because Vera is practically too injured and too badly abused to even rub Sherry's feet, one of the sons had to take over foot duty. And he was pissed, you know? He's like, why do I gotta rub mama's feet, right? So he went and he rubbed Sherry's feet and Sherry kept telling him, man, I really hope nobody kills Vera. But if someone does, what should we tell the police? So that's when a lot of the sons testified that, you know, that's when, you know, Sherry just kind of started this whole cover up story. Well, Mm -hmm. they didn't testify. They came forward and said it, but the police didn't really care. So the day of the murder, the police came in on the afternoon and Sherry was like busy trying to stuff Vera into a closet. Because at this point, if they saw Vera, I mean, she had every, like I said, the abuse was really, really, really bad. They would have taken her away.
0: Oh, it just police just showed off for no reason
1: neighbor neighbors had called oh. but they weren't there for Vera they were actually there for Danny Bixler the cousin and his girlfriend and Zachary because this whole trio had gotten into a fight with the kids down the street and they had pulled out a knife So the kids down the street had called the police on them. They went on the run. I mean, all of them had warrants out for them at this point. So they went to stay at a nearby aunt's house. I believe it was Aunt Samantha or whatever. And they come back home. And once they do, the police have gone. But there's like a shit show happening in the Brooks house. All the doors are open. All the windows are open. And it seems like someone had released a mace container, like a pepper spray container. So Mm. the Brooks family was kind of freaking out. Like, oh my God, there's so much pepper spray inside the house. Now, for whatever reason, Dan Bixler's girlfriend Nicole she decides to tell one of the other Brooks brothers wives Mm -hmm. so her name's Shannon she's married to one of the Brooks brothers right so Nicole tells Shannon hey remember you said that you were pregnant well you know Vera sprayed all this pepper spray in the house which by the way that has never been confirmed if it was Vera who caused the pepper spray to grow off or who who set off the pepper spray right Mm -hmm. I just hope it doesn't cause a miscarriage now Shannon I don't know if she was actually pregnant. I don't know if she had a miscarriage that day or she had a miscarriage that hour, whatever it may be. She ended she claimed that she ended up miscarrying because of the pepper spray and the whole family blamed it on Vera. And Sherry even was pissed because what if what if Shannon was carrying a girl and now she just miscarried because of the pepper spray? So the whole day, they just started getting angrier and angrier. And then finally, at 9 p.m., they all gathered in Zachary's room and they started talking about, okay, we're going to bring her to the train tracks now. So they grab Vera and they tell her, put on your shoes. And it seems like she knew what was going to happen. I mean, she was nervous. She she was scared. She just kept screaming, why? And they said, get on your shoes or else. Now, Vera asked everyone for help. She asked Shannon for help and she refused. She just sat on the couch like on her phone, just didn't even look at her. So she asked one of um, the other brothers for help. His name is Scotty. And he seems like he was dragged into all of this, but maybe he wasn't. The main abuser, I'm not saying he's innocent, but he seemed like maybe a little bit safer than everyone else. And mm-hmm. he said, oh, yeah, like, let me just go get my shoes from upstairs. Now, he claims once he went upstairs to get his shoes, he wasn't allowed to come back down by Zachary. So they take Vera. So it's Danny Bixler, Nicole and Zachary, her boyfriend. They take her and she's crying the whole time. They take her to the train tracks and they grab the kitchen knife that they had brought and they cut her from ear to here from ear to ear on her neck. And after they did that, because it was a really dull knife, they forced her to strip all of her clothes, and they just threw her clothes into the nearby bushes. It didn't even look like they were trying to hide the clothes. Now, why? Why would you do that? Like, is this one final act of humiliation? Like, what's wrong with you, right? Well, they said it's because the knife was so dull. When they had slit her throat, they realized, oh, like, this isn't going to kill her immediately. And it probably wouldn't even go through the clothes. And I'm only mentioning that because imagine the pain. Like, you're not it's not a fast death we're talking about, right? And so they made her strip her clothes and they stabbed her in the legs so she couldn't run away. They tried to decapitate her, but the what? knife was too dull so they couldn't get through the bone. So after all of that, they just decided to leave while she was fully alive. She was naked, cold, and bleeding out and left on the train tracks.
0: They tried to decapitate her yeah. while she was alive?
1: Yeah. And they left. They were like, the train's going to come, she's going to get hit, and we're going to be gone. Now, this was like her last act where Vera, she, was, she wasn't she was left in between the train tracks. It seems like she was left maybe over one rail or over both. Mm-hmm. But Vera had this tendency where she always slept in a fetal position, completely crawled up in like a ball. I don't know if this is a defense mechanism that she learned or if maybe it was comfortable for her, but she, in her naked cold bleeding out state crawled up into a tiny ball and she was one inch away from getting hit by the train so the train did go over her and there was damage but if she hadn't crawled up there might have been so much damage that they wouldn't be able to find her cause of death this really really helped the investigators later now the trio they go out to a party After they commit this murder, they start drinking. They start going to Sherry. They're all laughing together. Nicole was super excited, the girlfriend. Danny Bixler's girlfriend is so excited because she's ready to get her first teardrop.
0: She's going to get a tattoo?
1: Yeah. She was like, I can't believe I earned it. Yay. Sherry hugged her. They all changed clothes and they decided to go to Danny Bixler's sister's house to go to a party. Now it seems that Zachary was pretty haunted by this because he kept drinking and kept drinking. And he just kept saying that he wanted to get rid of all these images. Now Zach, once he's at the party, he started being like that tough boy. He started like banging his head on the, on the wall and just acting like he was just going through some shit. So Danny's sister Desta is like, Hey Zach, like what's going on? Are you okay? And Danny's like, Hey, Don't worry about him. He's just a little stressed because I slit that bitch's throat and left her at the train tracks and Desta was like what now Desta Danny's sister did not really believe him because he- he's drunk he's probably on some drugs he's kind of known to like inflate stories right mm-hmm. so maybe it wasn't that bad and then finally around 3 in the morning they ran out of cigarettes so they decided to walk to the local gas station to buy cigarettes now while they were on their way they passed the train who had been fully stopped now in the middle of the tracks which this isn't like a train stop why is the train stopped right Desta remembered seeing that and once she gets to the gas station she asked the gas station clerk like hey why did the train stop like is there an engine problem and the clerk said they found a body and she looked over and the trio was like completely frozen so that's when she was like holy shit they're not lying
0: and the gas station clerk didn't notice no
1: So the detectives, once they find the body, they do not tell the public for 35 hours, which has been highly controversial because typically when you have murderers on the loose for such a vicious murder, you want to warn the public. Or maybe you get tips and usually there's literally a show called The First 48 Hours where it's the most important time to catch the murderers. Mm -hmm. The police didn't even notify Vera's family. Sherry was the one who ID'd the body. And then Desta went to the police. I guess she's like the only redeeming person in this entire family. And she told them everything that they told her. So immediately, a bunch of people get arrested. Danny gets arrested. He immediately tells the police that he threw the murder weapon in the river. It was a kitchen knife. And he was labeled by the press as like this out-of-control ex-convict. Now, Nicole Peters, she implicated herself when she was being interrogated. But overall, she remained pretty quiet. And everyone called her this bloodthirsty, just like thrill-seeking, just nasty-ass girlfriend. And she claimed that it would all happen because Vera pepper sprayed the house and it caused Shannon to miscarry. That's why they had a killer. And that's what she claims. Now, the rest of the family, they were arrested for lying to the police. Zachary, Sherry, Shannon, Michael, and one underage Brooks brother were all arrested for lying. The biggest frustration with all of this is that everyone believes that Sherry was the mastermind. I mean, Sherry was essentially the killer. It's like a cult leader telling someone to go kill someone. They have to be arrested for murder, no? Mm-hmm. And people always said, if Sherry said something, it always went down. Like, she was a leader. But it didn't matter because the courts did not care. So when Zachary Brooks went to trial, he was sentenced to four years in a state prison. He had a previous theft charge and obstruction of justice. So he only got four years. And he kept his parental rights to Willa Dean. Michael Brooks, another brother, and Shannon Brooks, his wife, they were sentenced to about 30 to 39 days in prison. What? Yeah. I feel like shopping has completely changed to the past year and a half. I, I mean, any store that I walk into right now with my mask on, I still can't try on clothes. And I don't really feel the need to go through all of that because I have found Stitch Fix. Listen, online shopping can be daunting, especially during a time where you can't actually try on the clothes in the store. You never know if things are gonna fit and returns are always so freaking difficult. And you don't even know which store to even start shopping with. So this season, let Stitch Fix do all of that hard work for you so if you don't know stitch fix they offer clothing hand selected by expert stylists for your unique size style and even your budget so it's a completely different and fun way to find these clothes that you'll love and you'll wear every single piece is chosen for your fit and your life and it's the easy solution to finding what makes you look and feel your best because I feel like these days I'm kind of in a style rut I would just rather have someone handle it and just send me those beautiful pieces now once you get those pieces you get to try them on at home before you even buy you keep what what you love and return what you don't and stitch fix has free shipping easy returns and exchanges and it comes with a prepaid return envelope now, here's the best part. There is no subscription required. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries. You'll just pay a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited towards the pieces that you end up keeping. So really, there's no hidden fees ever. Stitch Fix has styles and clothing to fit any occasion for women, men, and kids, and they ship all across the United States. And they're available in the United Kingdom as well. So get started today at stitchfix.com rotten, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash Rotten for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com slash rotten for the people in the back. And then Sherry Brooks, she was only sentenced for hindering an investigation and got a 30-day jail term. But they also said, maybe you don't have to serve at all because you have medical conditions. So eventually, no prison term was recommended, but she did get probation. So in 2014, she broke her probation with inappropriate contact with an unrelated minor. Now, I don't know the specifics of this, but inappropriate contact with an unrelated minor seems... Seems like a lot, but she was only sentenced to 10 days in prison. What is going on? I know. In 2015, she was sentenced for another three and a half years because she broke her probation by selling drugs. And now she's a free woman. And she just goes around posting random nasty things. Like she'll literally post pictures on Facebook of her son handcuffed, like her full grown son handcuffed Uh and duct taped. And it'll be captioned disobedience from mama. But she would say M-A-W-M-A-W mama. Now, Nicole Peters, who was 17 at the time, the girlfriend, she was tried as an adult and was sentenced to 23 years. And Danny Brooks, Danny Bixler, he got life with the possibility of parole in 40 years, which is in 2051. No one was charged for the torture and abuse of Vera. Why is that? I guess they just didn't care. This is like one of those annoying cases where so many people were a part of this. So many people saw what happened. And there is no justice. Sylvia Likens' case, there was barely any justice there, right? So they have an organization that was called Voices for Vera, which is an activist group. And they were dedicated to bringing the people of this group to justice. So they hung purple bows all over Ohio. And they just didn't understand how, like, all these people are involved and only two people are charged for murder. Nobody's charged for the torture, the abuse that she endured. Like, what? Inside of Vera's purse, there was a note found. And it was for her daughter. And it said... I love you, Willa Dean. You are a good little baby girl to us. I'm glad to be your mommy, and I'm glad that I had you. On November 4th, 4.16am, 6 pounds, 2 ounces, 19 inches long. Mommy loves you. Now, the court decided that Willa Dean would be put up for adoption, and you know, the Brooks family, they're not just going to let that happen. So they what? tried to appeal the entire thing. So the court says, OK, we're going to have two supervised visits with Zachary Brooks, and we're going to see if he's fit to be a parent. So the first visit that Zach goes to to see his daughter, mm-hmm. Willa Dean is hysterically crying, just would not stop crying. And Zach refused to come to the second visit because he was butthurt that Willa Dean wouldn't stop crying the first time. So the state took custody of Willa Dean and she was adopted. And a lot of people say that little Willa Dean stood up for her mommy. Because I can't imagine if she was left with the Brooks. Yeah. Okay. Like I was going to end the podcast there. But um, I was going to save this for a mini really. <laughs> I feel like I need to do it. This is going to be on my mind for the next couple of nights, unless I film it right now. So that's essentially what happened to Vera. And I, I feel like I can't really dwell on it longer. I don't know what to say because obviously we all know that justice wasn't served. There's so many issues with the entire story. I also think it's insane that not a lot of people talk about it. And I think maybe my inkling has to do with the fact that the Brooks family, when you look at them all, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. There's just something weird there. I don't think they're like masterminds and they're like high. From the press, right? But I do think maybe they don't care because this is a story of like the just a very bad area, a very bad neighborhood, a very bad family, lots of gang activity. Maybe it's just not Mm. the most press friendly case, right? Mm. Which is insane. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. So this one did get a lot of press. And I don't know why suddenly this entire podcast had turned into a Houston slander podcast. But it's another Houston case. And I do have some words about this case. So it's the case of Christine Palilla. Now, this has been actually requested by my fiancé. I don't know where you got this case. But he was like, hey, one day can you talk about this case? Where did you find this case? You were like...
0: This was... Um, I read somewhere. I think it was on like a Chinese website. Underage murder or something. Like mm. Really gruesome. Okay. Is that what, what it was?
1: Interesting, kind of. So it's otherwise known as the Clear Lake Murders, which is a suburb of Houston, Texas. And in order to understand this, it's kind of like what people describe as the best friend murders. You know, a bunch of best friends and their lives get torn apart because some of them get murdered. And there are some weird twists in this entire story. There's some there's some weird shit that goes down. And in order to understand, we got to understand Christine's life because she was kind of the glue of the friendship later on
0: she -hmm. was like
1: the person that brought the friends even closer together right so her mom's name is Lori who is a stay at home mom and her dad was Charles who happened to be a construction worker and they were actually in Long Island New York so they weren't in Houston yet Mm -hmm. and she had a very cute little upbringing like she was really outspoken she was just really outgoing she was called the apple of her dad's eye so she was really close with her dad now when Christine turns two shit starts hitting the fan her dad a construction worker went to New York City to work on like a high building and he was killed by falling bricks during (sighs) construction this is like my biggest fear Anytime I see construction, I just get like a little creeped out. And so a few months later, it gets even worse because her grandparents passed away. And Christine started getting confused. Like, what is going on? I love these people. And they just keep like disappearing. Why do they leave? Like, what's happening? She did not understand the concept of death yet. She's like three. Uh And so her mom tried to kind of explain like, no, they still love you. And they're still with you. And she's like, no, they're not. Mm -hmm. So it was like this whole thing. Now her mom, she started to slip away too because she just lost her husband to you know all of this she lost you know the grandparents she started getting into drugs and she lost temporary custody of Christine Mm -hmm. so now Christine's really like what the fork like I'm literally losing everyone she would constantly call her mom while she was being taken care of by her grandparents her other grandparents and say like why can't I just come home Mm -hmm. Like, why? I don't understand. You know, they don't understand. And so there was multiple huge life events in Christine's life. And a lot of it was devastating. I mean, all of this made her feel abandoned. It made it hard for a kid to not feel rejected. When in reality, it's just really, really shitty circumstances. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it gets worse. One day, Christine wakes up and she looks at her pillow and she starts screaming. There's just clumps of her hair in the pillow, just clumps. And she was diagnosed really young with alopecia, which is just irreversible hair loss condition. And it's completely devastating. So I believe typically there's not um, pain associated with it, but there is a lot of a lot of mental and, you know, traumatic because you lose Social. not just your hair and it doesn't come out cleanly. Like, it's not like you just have like a shaven head or a bald head. It's like it comes out in clumps. So you've got these massive bald spots. You eventually will lose your eyebrow hair, all of your eyelashes. You'll have no body hair. Like, it's just really really devastating especially for young girls who get it because it's so strongly associated with like femininity and just looking pretty is to have hair long hair styled hair all of these things i hate when people say it's just hair because it kind of implies that like you're like this narcissist and you don't have big problems in your life and you're just like crying about your hair but i feel like hair is just it's like one of those things it's just your shield it's like my shield i like to shield myself with my hair And these days my butt, because I haven't gotten a hair a haircut in like two years, so I got some really long ass hair going on right now.
0: Your hair is covering your butt. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta clarify because that sounded really weird. (laughs) Like I've got a hairy butt.
1: And not only that, but Christine had really really bad eyesight, so she wore these. Just they call them Coca Cola bottle glasses. Uh I've never heard that. But it like really. We call it beer bottle. Oh, beer, beer bottle? Yeah. What does that mean, just, just really thick lenses? The, b-
0: the bottom of the beer or Coke uh. It's just really You know, you get that weird like fisheye effect.
1: Yeah, so they would, all the kids at school would make fun of her. And then once she had alopecia, it got worse because she started buying these wigs. Now, they don't really come from a well-off family. So they would go to like Halloween stores to buy wigs because wigs are expensive. I'm telling you, good quality wigs can be thousands of dollars, like to look realistic, right? Mm -hmm. And so she would buy these Halloween style wigs. And I'm sure most of them didn't fit right or they were too big. She would draw on eyebrows. House. and I think back then maybe there was no such thing as setting spray but also she's like a kid so even if she sweat a little bit her eyebrows would just like run down her oh face and so all of these kids would just make fun of her now on top of that to make things worse she was diagnosed with ADD so it's like even if she focused on schoolwork instead of the bullying which I don't know how you can do when you're bullied at this extent right but she was having difficulty with even just the schoolwork because she has ADD so she's wearing these wigs and these kids would make fun of her for her glasses they would run up behind her in school and pull off her wig and throw it across the hallway so she just became super withdrawn and I think I mean that's the only way you can be when you're bullied at this level right and every day she would wake up scared about school scared about the kind of bullying that she has to endure that day and it just was really bad so finally her mom gets custody back of Christine and gets remarried and I will say kudos to the stepdad he seems like a pretty chill dude like a really nice dude So they moved to Houston, Texas to be with the stepdad and the suburb of Clear Lake City. Now, she starts going to high school at this point and she goes to Clear Lake High School, which... I mean, okay. I've heard of this place. I think it came up on Reddit somewhere. But um, I looked into it deeper when I was researching this Christine case. And they they were infamous for like a fake suicide pact that had happened in like the 90s. So apparently six teenagers who had gone to Clear Lake High School had taken their lives all within like a couple of months of each other. Mm -hmm. And so it caused this like mass hysteria just mm-hmm. nationally that um these kids signed a suicide pact because they were all they all knew each other to a certain degree
0: you say it was a fake
1: well they all did take their lives but i don't know if there was a suicide pact but it caused mass to mass hysteria and mm-hmm. that's what clear lake high school was just known on the news for that huh. they had a suicide pact thing going on so she goes there And things finally start looking up for Christine. She was bullied the whole time. She's still wearing like the same quality wigs. And people in high school, at Clear Lake High School, they all called her a clown. So she would do her eyelids very white. So she would literally put on just white eyeshadow on her eyelids, which Mm. I've never seen look good on anyone. And she would um, kind of do her eyebrows a little bit differently. Like she would do makeup a little bit. Clown-like is what everyone implied. And then mm-hmm. with the wig, she would always get these... Um, to try to disguise from the fact that these are cheap quality wigs, she would get the most intense wig. Mm-hmm. So that it's kind of like, oh, don't call me out on my wig. Like, I know it's fake. Like, I'm not trying to make you feel like it's real, right? That's so, so sad. Yeah. So all of it led to, you know, people saying that she was very clown-like, right? Mm-hmm. But Tiffany Rowell and Rachel Calorides, they came around... And they befriended her. Now, here's the thing with Tiffany and Rachel. They were a year older, and they were both the popular kids.
0: They are popular?
1: So popular.
0: Oh, no. But not in
1: the mean girl way.
0: What does that mean? They
1: were popular, but really down to earth. They were popular in the sense that not just because they're pretty, but because they were really nice. Like, they were popular amongst most groups in high school. Like, it wasn't just like, oh, they're popular with, like, the football team. You know, it was like, no, everyone really loved them right so Rachel she was beautiful she was always known to look out for the underdog like that was her thing she always liked if she hated when people sat alone at lunch like she's the type that's like come sit with me like don't sit alone right mm-hmm. and um, because Christine had alopecia and she saw these people just bullying her she was like this is disgusting right mm-hmm. so she gets you know she's like come sit with us now Tiffany she had a sweetheart too her entire dream in life was to become a social worker I didn't know kids like that in high school, okay? They were just like, listen, we're going to give you a makeover. They took her to a wig shop. They got her a new wig, taught her how to style it that was much more modern. They started teaching her how to wear makeup. They got her contacts. And it was literally one of those like movies, like those Disney movies of the transformation. And Christine even felt comfortable enough to fully go wigless in front of them, which she never did with anyone. Wow. And she just trusted them. She, and I quote said, they're like the type of people that would never stab you in the back. And her family noticed a change in Christine. She suddenly became so confident and just so like she was herself now, you know, Mm -hmm. prior to all of this, she was alopecia. She was ADD. She was, you know, these thick glasses. But now she was finally showing her true colors and she just was so outgoing and thought everything was funny and just so confident. And in 2003, she was voted Miss Irresistible by her graduating class you know how you have the superlatives like most yeah. likely to be famous she was voted miss irresistible
0: meaning people really like her
1: really loved her
0: what? She's, they
1: said listen the fact that you have all of these conditions but you're so outgoing thanks to the help of rachel and tiffany because it's one of those things like once the popular kids like someone or something yeah. everyone suddenly is like oh right so she yeah. was voted miss irresistible and they were constantly called like this trio thing now there were some people in the high school that spent That something sexual was going on between them Because of how often they were with each other But I don't really think it was like that Right? So Tiffany had Lost a parent and Rachel was there For Tiffany when her mom had passed I believe Uh And then they took in Christine And so it just became like they were with Each other during the hardest times of their lives It's just like this bond They would also write papers to each other So Christine had wrote on a paper Christine plus Rachel plus Tiffany equals BFFE Do you know what that stands for?
0: best friends forever existed <laughs> best friend forever eternally
1: eternally <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. no.
1: it's just best friends forever ever <laughs> you're like that's so lame best friend but,
0: forever yeah. ever or oh. if some
1: people say best friends forever and ever Yeah, so she wrote, I love you guys And then Tiffany would write back, Christine, I love you You have been there for me when I needed you And I really appreciate how nice you are So, I mean, just a wholesome-ass friendship And then they started going to parties And Christine met a guy Now
0: (laughs) This is after high school? Yeah Okay
1: So she meets a guy by the name of Well, she's one year younger, so they had graduated But um, I believe Christine was still in class So she meets a guy by the name of Chris Snyder and um not a good guy he's like 2 years older and mm-hmm. her parents hated him he experiments with drugs all the time he was he had a criminal record for armed robbery not just robbery but freaking armed he wore body piercing spiked hair chains from his jeans which i mean i'm like i disagree with but, but you know this was in 2003 so they were like this is crazy who wears stuff like that right and they started dating when Christine was just like 16 years old and Christine's whole thing was that she just feels so bad for him nobody wants to be his friend because he's got this criminal record and he dresses a little differently but I want to help him you know she was having one of those moments where she was like I can change him I can fix him yeah I can make sure he doesn't do drugs again and he doesn't go to prison now Chris's childhood is interesting because he didn't come from like a broken family at all it seemed like his um well His dad had passed or he never knew his dad, but his mom and his siblings, they were really tight-knit and they didn't have drugs in the house. They really just were your regular American family. But one day, when Chris was young, he was playing football when he was 12 years old out in the street in front of his house. So Mm -hmm. like a residential street. And Mm -hmm. a truck was just turning around the corner and struck Chris head on. He went flying in the air and fell over. So his sister starts running to him and she said that his eyes were just rolling back into his head. And since that, point everyone says that he's just been different i don't know do you believe stuff like this i feel like there's got to be evidence i mean i i believe it
0: yeah it's like the bunk on the head by the yeah, swing. right yeah
1: when he's 12 and so you know ever since then the family said that he has a look of confusion in his eyes but everyone else sees it as a look of evil So I don't really know if you can see it in your eyes Or if it's hindsight and everyone's like oh yeah I saw The devil now Christine she starts having Issues at home with her parents she starts Having issues with her friends because of course You know her her mom and her stepdad Disapprove of him her friends hate him Like they're just like why like you Can do so much better than him he's not even funny he's not Even good looking like and he treats you shitty So Christine starts doing drugs with Him and it starts isolating her Even more because her friends were like oh really You're seriously doing drugs with him and It's just the couple was entirely toxic so Chris he would come to school that he doesn't go to and he would snatch her wig off to embarrass her in front of everyone if she ever pissed him off But also Christine was intense She was super jealous So one time He had just looked at a girl Like a passerby on the street And Mm -hmm. she refused to She followed him Refused to leave his house Slept on the front lawn All night Trying to break into his house All of Chris's family Called Christine An absolute cancer And they called her The psycho Anytime she was around They were just like Oh the psycho's back Do you have friends? Nope (laughs) I'm gonna give you a big wake-up call friends do not let friends live with anything less than amazing hair And that's just the tea so think of me as your friend And I want you to be happy and I want you to try to have amazing hair and here's the way that I did it I use function of beauty I've been using this brand for like years now and it's the world leader in customizable beauty offering precise Formulations for your hair's specific needs I mean your hair is different from my hair and my hair is different from her hair Everybody's hair is different. We're all unique. So the way that they do it is super cool because you take this quick but thorough quiz and you tell them a little bit about your hair type and what do you want from your hair do you want it to be longer do you want it to be volumized do you want it to you know be less oily whatever it may be you choose it and because your hair changes with every season you can even change your hair goals before every single shipment so after you choose those hair goals you can even choose your color your fragrance or you can go fragrance and dye free now once you've filled that out functions team determines the perfect blend of ingredients and bottles your formula and and delivers it straight to your door. And when I say customizable, I mean customizable because there are over 54 trillion possible formulations. And Function of Beauty has over 50,000 five-star reviews. Every single ingredient that they use is vegan and cruelty-free and they never use sulfates or parabens. And if it's up to you, you can go completely silicone-free too. Seriously, I've noticed such a difference in my hair and I love Function of Beauty. They have completely personalized formulas for even body skincare as well and you can customize your beauty routine from head to toe from hair to toe (laughs) so never buy off the shelf just to be disappointed again go to functionofbeauty.com slash rotten to take your quiz and save 20% off your first order that applies to their full range of customized hair skin and body products go to com slash rotten to let them know that we sent you and get 20% off your order functionofbeauty.com slash rotten for the people in the back she also demanded violent, rough sex from him. Everyone said it was almost like he w- she wanted him to punish her. And it was always anal sex for some reason. I mean, she's underage. She's not. It's a whole thing that I can't even get into because there's so much more. And if he even looked at a girl, she would freak out. One time, she randomly was yelling at him about something. And everyone was there. Like, his whole family was there witnessing her. And she's just yelling, yelling, yelling at Chris. And then she stopped, stared at him licked his face from the bottom of his chin all the way to his forehead, stared at him, spat on the ground right next to his feet, and then just, like, walked away. And the whole family was like, I'm telling you, like, that girl is cuckoo. Like, what What the fork's going on? So she graduates, and she's even more isolated. Now, a lot of psychologists think that there's a link between losing a father figure early on and putting a lot of importance on a man who comes later on. So maybe you think, because I lost my dad like your quintessential and i quote and i hate it daddy issues so she's like ah, i gotta fix this dude right so you might think that they're worth fixing you might feel like you have to fix them or like this has to work so that they don't leave you but that might not be the case like it's probably just another shitty dude mm-hmm. so everyone starts pulling away from her her friends start pulling away so they had hated being around chris they just don't like him they don't like that he comes to the gatherings if they ever invite christine you know rachel and tiffany are like hey christine want to come over she always brings chris And they're like, we don't like this anymore. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Tiffany had a boyfriend of her own by the name of Marcus. Mm -hmm. Now, this is where a lot of names are going to come in, but just bear with me. So we've got Christine, who's dating Chris Snyder. And then we've got her best friends, Rachel and Tiffany who have been Mm -hmm. best friends before they even let Christine into their group. Mm -hmm. Now Tiffany is dating Marcus Mm -hmm. her boyfriend Mm -hmm. and they're also hanging out with Marcus's cousin who had recently moved here and his Mm -hmm. name is Adelbert but he's not I guess that pertinent to the story. So Adelbert had moved about a week ago and he wanted to actually get away from violence in his hometown. So he was like you know what Clear Lake is one of those suburban neighborhoods where all the houses look the same and everyone's just like family friendly. I'm going to go there turn my life around. And so he started hanging out with Marcus and Tiffany and Rachel Mm -hmm. now July of 2003 they decided to have a gathering at Tiffany's house and this is the Clear Lake murders so July of 2003 they decide to have a house party at night but they were all hanging out the four of them so Rachel Tiffany Tiffany's boyfriend Tiffany's boyfriend's cousin so they're all hanging out and they said okay let's text all of our friends to come around 6.30pm but prior to that maybe we can order some pizza we can watch some movies we can just hang out by ourselves right so they're all texting their friends like okay you guys are gonna come at 6 right we're just hanging out and it was around 3pm that one of Tiffany's friends called Tiffany to confirm the whole plan she was Mm -hmm. like okay like what time is it again now Tiffany happened to be in the bathroom so her boyfriend picked up and the friend was like oh I'll just call back later because I think it was one of those Situations where the friend was probably going to be asking about, well, what's the dress code? Who's going to be there? You know, she didn't mm-hmm. want to talk to the boyfriend. She was like, what do you know? Nothing. And she hung up. Mm-hmm. Now, 4 p.m. comes around and she calls again. No answer. So she's like, okay, that's a little bit weird. Um, why isn't she answering but maybe she's busy prepping for the party tonight Mm -hmm. so then about an hour passes and she decides to go to the house since it was on her way home and she just wanted to check up on tiffany like something seems weird so when she gets there there was a couple people standing outside the front door knocking already but there was no answer which was Mm -hmm. strange you know Mm -hmm. because they're all supposed to be home their cars are in the driveway all of the friends and they also can hear through the window and the door that The TV is on. So are they playing a prank? You know, what's going on? They also try to look through the windows. They don't see anything. I mean, it was just all weird. So they decide to try to open the door and see if it's unlocked. So they open up the door and it seemed like the friend had walked in first, Tiffany's friend, and she saw the eeriest scene ever. So the TV is on, and two of her friends are covered in blood, sitting on the couch with their legs reclined, almost as if they're still watching TV. Adelbert, the cousin, he was covered in blood on the floor in front of the TV, and she couldn't find Rachel anywhere. So she runs out of the house. She's like, call the police. And everyone outside was like, why? What's the problem? They walk in and all of them come running out, like, call the police. A neighbor happened to be walking by. So they immediately dialed 911. Wait, so
0: they saw three people in there? Yeah. Now,
1: once the police arrive, they'll find Rachel too. So she was actually behind the couch and she was. She had a phone in her hand, so it looked like she was trying to call 911. And this crime scene is insane. There was blood and bullet holes everywhere. They said it was a bit of a bloodbath. About 40 rounds were fired. 17 to 20 hit the actual victims. So these four people, they were shot multiple times. The police were actually shocked at the accuracy of the rounds being shot.
0: And nobody heard the gunshot?
1: So the neighbors later testified. One of them said that they heard the gunshots, but they thought it was construction work. Because it was the middle of the day. It was like 3 p.m. And they were like, there's no way. I mean, this is literally the suburbs. Imagine you live in the suburbs. I guess maybe they just been that blessed life. They never heard a gunshot before. So they're like, yeah, construction. Maybe also maybe
0: it's just so rapid.
1: Yeah, maybe. Maybe it sounds like jackhammer. No, I can't imagine it sounds like jackhammering. We've been to like shooting ranges. We know what gunshots sound like. I can't I, I mean, don't know. but also maybe if it's muffled between houses, I don't know what that sounds yeah,
0: like. I don't know. Just
1: a little bit weird. So Tiffany and Marcus, they they were the ones sitting on the couch. So Tiffany and her boyfriend, their feet are still up as if they're watching TV. Adele Burt, he's the one on the floor in front of the TV, and Rachel was behind the sofa with an entire blood trail behind her. So it looked like she was trying to get help because there was a phone near her now -hmm. when they look at the phone this is the devastating part she was able to dial nine and a one
0: wow
1: so they have the bodies autopsied and the cause of death for tiffany tiffany her boyfriend and the boyfriend's cousin were gunshot wounds and rachel she didn't instantly die Her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. She was shot six times and then she was beat on the head. Her skull was bashed in by what the police believe probably to be like the um, part of a gun. So, I mean, these all seem really passionate. What makes it even worse is that Tiffany and Rachel, they had gunshot wounds in their genital areas, whereas the boys, they didn't. So does this kind of seems like some sort of sexual jealousy? I mean, it's just a very strange thing to do. Why were there gunshot wounds on their genital areas? Now, because there's no signs of forced entry, they couldn't indicate if something was stolen. The police were stumped. They just told the press there's no signs of forced entry, which aka means the police don't know what happened. Now, the police are trying to solve the murders ASAP because the entire community, they're freaking shook. I mean, this is a residential area. Everyone was heartbroken, especially because they're young. They're not bad kids. Their families are in shock. They're well known in the community. And Christine took it especially hard. I mean, she was freaking devastated she went into a state of full-on depression she only it only made things worse because the police found christine's picture in rachel's wallet so rachel had kept a picture of christine her friend in her wallet Mm -hmm. and so christine finds that out and is like oh my god like i i let my friendship die for a boy and Now my friends are dead and my friends always cared about me, even when we were drifting apart because of this boy. Like, what? So Mm -hmm. she was so upset she couldn't even attend the funerals. And the police, they're ramping up their investigation during all of this. And a couple of neighbors come forward. So one of them said that they heard banging around 3.30 p.m. But because it's middle of the day, they were like, maybe it's construction work. (laughs) Now, another neighbor witnessed two people dressed in all black clothing walk into Tiffany's house around the same time that they heard what seemed to be gunshot wounds. They didn't know it at the time. And they thought, oh, well, that's not that strange. They're probably, you know, Tiffany's friends. They weren't wearing ski masks or anything. They weren't like holding up guns or anything. So it just seemed like, oh, they're having friends over. So the police kept asking, do you remember anything about these people? So they had her do a composite sketch Mm -hmm. and they were really, really bad. I'm just going to be honest it's like they they look they look like sims characters you know and you're like even i can make a better sims character than that so they do this composite sketch and they poli- the police release it everywhere they put it all over the place all over the news and everyone's like um what so they get some tips and leads but not really anything so the police are like ah we gotta go back to some old school work we gotta find do these kids have enemies like what's going on so marcus tiffany's boyfriend actually became the center of the whole investigation because he was a waiter but he also sold drugs on the side wow now maybe it was a drug deal gone wrong they also looked into marcus's cousin who is new to town and he was connected to a mexican gang So they were like, is he out here in Clear Lake because he pissed off the Mexican mafia and now they're looking for him? Like, what's going on? That could be a motive. But they couldn't find any evidence between any of that connection. So they were like, okay, we're going to go with the whole drug deal gone wrong theory because that sounds the most accurate. But they start looking for people who are buying drugs from Marcus and they couldn't find anyone. And I'm sure it's because no one's going to go into the police station and say, you know what? I actually was buying drugs from Marcus the day he was murdered. And I, too, have an illegal weapon in my trunk right now. Funny. You know, no one's going to do that. So they couldn't find anyone. So the case starts going cold. And Rachel's dad, he was like the number one advocate on all of this. And he just doesn't understand how that's possible. How do four young kids, they were like 18 to 21. How do they just die in the middle of the day in the suburbs? And the police are like, we don't really know what's going on. So he raised a bunch of money to hire his own PIs, to find the killers, to put out a reward. They eventually raised over $100,000 and he put out a $100,000 reward on anyone who knew any information right so meanwhile everyone's trying to move on with their lives christine Mm -hmm. she's super depressed but she's trying to make it work so she's trying to work at this walgreens you know she's working at the makeup counter and in 2004 her relationship with chris ended because chris he got extradited to kentucky because he stole cars in kentucky before So they're like, you got to do some jail time. And now he was looking at some serious jail time. They were like, you like third strike, you're out, bro. So in Kentucky, he was going to be there for a hot minute. And she was losing it. She had recently gotten on two new medications for bipolar disorder. And she just kept demanding her parents drive her to Kentucky so that she could see Chris Snyder. And her mom and her stepdad are like, uh, no. So when they refused, she ran into the kitchen, got a kitchen knife and held it up to her wrist and then pointed it at her parents.
0: So she still loves him?
1: Yeah. So it seems like, I mean, it just seems like she was falling apart. Okay. You know, with everything going on, like she lost her friends, she lost her boyfriend. And so she was sent to a psychiatric ward with a court-ordered rehab. Now, at this rehabilitation center, I mean, it's just going to go downhill from here. It's so chaotic. So she meets a guy by the name of Stanley Justin Rott in rehab. And he was there for heroin addiction. And within weeks of meeting each other, they were like, let's get married it's not really the best thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, he was much older. They're super new in their relationship, but also their sobriety just feels dangerous. It just feels like a recipe for disaster. So they officially get married in 2005. And at this time, Christine had turned 18. So she inherited $360,000 of her dad's life insurance that was saved in a trust fund until she turned 18. So now she's got close to $400,000. She's, 18. Okay, if I have any money to give my kids, it's never going to be 18. You're gonna, your ass is 35 when you get a dollar from me. I mean, when I'm dead, is what I'm saying, right. It's just too young, no? And so, you know, she uses that money and they're talking to themselves about, okay, now that we're married, we've got this money. Should we should we get a down payment on a house? Like, what should we do? Should we buy a condo? It seemed like they're just trying to get their shit together. So mm-hmm. at one point, they do buy a condo. Wait, now- they both got out? yeah yeah and they get married and they got the inheritance and they buy a condo now around this time rachel's dad is still freaking out because she's like how is everyone just moving on with their lives this is not okay so on the second anniversary of the murders he put out a hundred thousand dollar reward with crime stoppers for anyone who has any leads and he put billboards all over this area all over houston all over texas and it was all over the news again because you know the story of a dad who is relentless in finding the killers is something that the news wants to talk about and christine sees these sketches Mm -hmm. and she gets she gets traumatized all over again and she's sitting there with her mouth wide open in front of the tv and she calls for her husband to come into the room and she's pacing she's screaming oh my god oh my god her husband's like what's wrong what's wrong oh is it about your friends who died and she just kept saying oh my god oh my god and then she asks him does that look like me so he's like what why would that look like you what do you mean now that's when Justin has a bit of a flashback and he knew something was up so when he was eating dinner with Christine's family once right this was like months ago They were talking about how hard the holidays must be For all the victims of the Clear Lake murders Christine's friends Mm -hmm. And Christine's mom said the killers deserve the needle Which is a really intense opinion About the death penalty Saying that they deserve capital punishment And Christine's eyes were just bulging out of her head Like they were. she was just kind of like frantically Looking around the dinner table Like did y'all hear that And she had these like buggy ass frog eyes And her Mm -hmm. husband just thought Okay like maybe she just has a really intense emotion Towards the death penalty And didn't think anything of it Mm -hmm. But now with that And her asking if she looks like the composite sketch Mm -hmm. I mean he's a little bit concerned He's like do you have something to tell me Mm -hmm. And she's like no no So for the next couple of months She starts telling him bits and pieces Of what happened on the day of the Clear Lake murders Mm, She's coming
0: cling to him
1: A little bit And around this time she also relapses So they end up selling the condo And they start living out of a Quinta Inn motel in San Antonio because they had a drug dealer in San Antonio and they start for the next eight months. Christine never left that motel room for even one day. They were spending close to $500 a day on drugs. They were just draining the entire inheritance. So meanwhile, they're, just hiding out in San Antonio in a motel room and Christine's dealing with some secrets like she's telling her husband. There was a lot of tips coming into the police department, the Houston Police Department. One of the main tips was a female who called in and said, I met Chris Snyder when uh, he was super drunk. Like it was at like a bar and his name was Chris Snyder. And he kept telling me that his girlfriend's best friend was raped by two guys and then he killed them all. It was just weird. So I was like, okay, so you just like killed the guys. And then he was like, yeah, I killed the guys. And then my girlfriend killed the two females. And so she calls this into the police and the police were confused because it didn't fit their motive at all. They were like, no, 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 no. We're not looking for a rape case. We're not looking for a motive that has anything to do with sexual assault. We're looking, we're looking for um, a drug deal gone wrong. That's this doesn't fit our whole vibe, right? Like, why would, why, would he, why would they even kill the girls? If the girls have been raped, why would they kill the girls? And also around this time, Hurricane Katrina had hit. So after Hurricane Katrina, the Houston Police Department were dealing with something that they called the Katrina murders because after the hurricane, the murder rate in the city skyrocketed nearly 27%. I don't know. There must be some sort of logical reason behind why that happens, but maybe it has to do with like an economic downtime. Usually is mm-hmm. an increase in crime But I'm not entirely sure What that could have mm-hmm. been okay. So all the tips About the Clear Lake murders Which has been a cold case For years now Is just kind of written In a notebook And they're like We're just gonna get into it later Now eventually It starts getting more serious Because they get another tip From a male who calls in And um, it's an anonymous tip From Crime Stoppers, And he said that While he was in rehab He met a woman At the rehab center And she just told him This really in-depth story About how she was a participant In the Clear Lake City murders That she was You know you know, on drugs, and oh my god, like the sketch really looks like her. So they were like, "Huh, yeah." And she told me that they ran out of bullets, so she had to hit one of them to kill them. So they were like, "Huh, who is this person?" And he was like, "Well, I think I think her name's Christine paulilla and she was like 20 years old when I met her." So they look her up, and she kind of looks like the sketch. But they need to track her down. So she's married. She's got this condo. They go to the condo. Looks like it's been sold. Looks like it's been, you know, abandoned. So eventually they track her down to the San Antonio Motel. And they burst through the door. And they find Christine. Now when they find her, it's uh, it's disgusting. There were over a hundred heroin needles just laying all over this little motel room there was blood everywhere um, it didn't seem like crime scene blood it seemed like there was blood from all the injections there was really nasty just molded food they had soiled bed sheets, soiled foods they had a dog that was just in there and just pooping all over the place and they did not pick up the poop oh ever they had been hiding in there for the past eight months Christine did not leave that motel room not even once they were draining her entire inheritance they were spending $250 a day on heroin $250 a day on cocaine and their entire diet for eight months they didn't even have Chinese takeout once they only ate Cheez-Its Reese's peanut butter cups and soda for eight months And they never left the room. They didn't let housekeeping in. There was dog poop everywhere. They also had a laptop in the room, which kind of gets important later because Rachel's dad had source tracking done on his website. So he had websites set up for, you know, Rachel's killer. And there was this company that he had hired that could track down all of the IP addresses that even enter his website, Uh that even check out the website. And without fail, every single day, there was one person who would come every single day Constantly checking out the website Every single day Same IP tra- address they couldn't track it down? They couldn't track it down Until uh. the police confirmed It was Christine from the motel Every single day she would get high And look up the murders So they both get arrested And I'm just sure on possession charges alone um, It was a lot so They had 70 vials of heroin Just like laying around in the motel room
0: What about the other boyfriend, Chris?
1: So Chris is gone We'll find him later Okay. They decide to get Christine first. Okay. So Christine, she immediately is like, I want a lawyer. Meanwhile, Justin, he was like waiting for this moment and he just starts telling them everything. Now, I don't know why. I, maybe it was his conscience. Maybe he didn't want to get caught for a murder that he didn't commit and like be deemed an accomplice. I don't know. So he just tells them everything. He was like, yeah, so Christine told me that her and her ex-boyfriend, Chris Snyder, committed these murders. And they were going there to steal drugs from the four friends because they had no money. And they were just going to rob them. And they were let in by the friends. So Rachel had opened the door to Tiffany's house and they were about to make this drug deal. But then Chris pulled out a gun. Then Christine pulled out a gun and demanded they give them all the drugs and the money that they have. So Rachel's trying to calm them down. And it's like, hey, you don't have to do this. Like, whatever you want, we can give it to you. Now, Chris held the three friends. So Tiffany, Tiffany's boyfriend, and Tiffany's boyfriend's cousin at gunpoint. And told them to, like, stay still, don't move, right? Meanwhile, Christine made Rachel walk around Tiffany's house, like, trying to find drugs and money. Which I'm sure wasn't productive because this isn't even Rachel's house. Mm -hmm. So now we're looking at armed robbery. But then Chris said, oh, well, these are your friends. So... They're just going to like rat us out to the police. I mean, they know where we live. They know what we look like. Come on, this is crazy. So he allegedly fired the first shot. And that's when Christine allegedly went blind and just started rapid firing, shooting all over the place in rage and anger. But also because Chris told her that he would kill her if she didn't do this. I don't really believe this and neither do the police for a lot of reasons. The first being that out of the 40 rounds that were fired, I mean, most of them were accurate. If Mm -hmm. you're shooting in a blind rage, there's four people being shot at like you're not going to have such clean, almost execution style shots administered. So then the whole plan was for Chris and Christine to skip town. But they were worried. They were like, wait, what if one of them's alive? So they were in their car leaving, but they drove back, got back out of their car and they went into the house again. And that's when they saw Rachel making noise behind the couch. And she had dialed nine and she had dialed one. So that's when Christine walks over, fires another shot at Rachel and then another one, but there's no more bullets. So Rachel's still alive. So she started beating her to death
0: hmm you think they went in there to kill them because how do you so. have weapon and that many bullets and
1: that's the whole speculation because it doesn't make sense how do you commit a home invasion on people you know like yeah. they know your voice they know who you are they, they they weren't even like masked up like yeah
0: so you already know what's gonna yeah, happen so i don't think in. it was
1: like an armed robbery gone wrong i think like they wanted to kill the friends
0: what? Yeah. Okay.
1: So then they drive to Christine's house. They wash up. They get rid of the body cl- bloody clothes. And Christine gets dropped off at work at Walgreens to work a full shift at the makeup counter. So, either way you know Christine's trying to put all the blame on Chris saying Chris threatened my life if I didn't shoot my friends Chris did this Chris is scary Chris manipulated me into doing this Chris is the one that fired the fatal shots she was arrested in 2006 and now they started hunting for Chris Snyder now they started investigating Chris's family members and they were um, I mean I don't know if I would do this for a family member probably not but they told him that the police were looking for him the Houston Police Department so at this point he's living in South Carolina with a woman that he met online and he gets a call from his aunt and she's like, you better go on the run because the Houston police, they've got a warrant out for you for murder. So he just starts running, running, running. I mean, he full on freaks out. He runs into the woods with soda and a bunch of prescription pills and he overdoses and takes his life in the woods. Now, eventually when the police find him, they are able to match him to Chris Snyder. He did take his life and inside of Chris's house, they found two guns that match with the murder weapons of the Clear Lake murders, and one of the guns had both of the DNA of Christine and Chris. So it's kind of like, okay, like this is what's happening now, especially with Chris Snyder dead. Christine started putting more of the blame on him. She's like, definitely not like he's the one that manipulated me. I'm so terrified of Chris Snyder. He is just so abusive. Now the trial starts and it becomes incredibly controversial. So Christine's husband is the main like star testimony because he's like, no, that's not what Christine told me. Christine told me this. And I think the main reason that he was the star testimony is because when Christine was talking to the police and interrogated and admitted to certain things she was experiencing heroin withdrawal she actually had to be taken to the hospital like three times during her interrogation Mm -hmm. so um you would call that under duress right you wouldn't necessarily call that a oh i was totally capable minded and i made this confession so he goes up on the stand and he claims that he still loves christine and always did but he just had to speak the truth now the defense they bring in a bunch of people and it was a lot of christine's husband's ex-girlfriends and they said that he has a habit of meeting girls at recovery meetings stealing things from them going back to recovery meetings meeting other girls and one time he proposed to someone with a stolen ring from a girl he robbed after meeting her at a recovery meeting And he lied about his mom dying to gain sympathy from these girls. So it was just a really controversial testimony. Now, he claims that that was just just a really dark time in his life where he was just ruled by his addiction, which I can kind of feel for him. But also, it just became super controversial, right? So the trial was relatively um, straightforward. She was found guilty September 2008 and convicted of murder. And she got... No death penalty because she was 17 when the murders happened, but she was sentenced to 40 years to life. She is currently trying to actively appeal the sentence because she claims, you know, I was going through heroin withdrawal, so you can't use my testimony or my confession. She will be eligible for parole in 2046 when she's like 60 years old. So motive, right? Yes. This is where I was confused too. And then I started looking into it. I God, what was the book called? Never See Them Again by Mary... By M. Phillips. Really good. but they went into the motives, and the first one that they believe is, maybe she was upset that the girls kind of pitied her. It's just what? the thing. Some people think maybe she's upset. You know, pity is a shitty feeling. Sometimes I see pity makes people do weird things. Some people have this really, really strong reverse feeling for being pitied, I guess. So that was kind of a speculation. Another sec- speculation is that maybe Christine was so jealous of the girls because they just never really had to work hard to be accepted by people. They just were always well-liked. They were always pretty. They were always popular. And she was just pissed off. Now, the thing that kind of confirms this theory is that everyone that knew Christine and her relationship with Chris Snyder, specifically Chris Snyder's sister, said that she was just a super jealous girl. Like, in intensely jealous i mean there must be something between her and the girls and then when chris's sister was shown a picture of rachel that's when she said she had a gut feeling like she just knew because rachel is very beautiful
0: mm.
1: now what makes this whole rachel theory even crazier police found a photo and they mismarked it now i don't know what the fork happened with the police there but it's a photo of two girls now Rachel is in the picture for sure. She's leaning back and another girl is pulling Rachel's G string from out of her pants. So like the side of her thong is getting pulled up out of her pants. Mm -hmm. And the other girl is putting it in between her teeth as if she's like, you know, biting her undies off through her pants, I guess. But the police believed that the second girl was Tiffany. So they marked it in evidence as Rachel and Tiffany, the two victims. Later, they find out that the girl with the undies in the mouth was Christine. So maybe maybe Christine liked Rachel. I, mean, I don't know if this is maybe just a goofy high school picture or maybe Christine was emotionally attached to Rachel and felt betrayed or felt jealous because Rachel was like moving on and didn't really care about her as much because of the whole Chris thing. I just mm. don't know. Maybe it's a mixture of both. Also with the gunshot wounds to the genitals could explain.
0: Mm. Now
1: there's also the Bonnie and Clyde theory. So Chris's family said that there was constantly talks about committing crimes together so that they could be connected forever, that they could never leave each other. So they kind of went on a crime spree before the murders. They shoplifted from Walmart. They also stole thousands of dollars of ecstasy from a local drug dealer, and they kept calling themselves Bonnie and Clyde.
0: Mm. So
1: maybe this was like the ultimate secret that they could share.
0: That sounds like a motive, yeah.
1: So she's sitting her ass in prison, and we still don't really know what happened. She won't talk. She won't talk. She's blaming everything on Chris Snyder still and still trying to appeal. I mean, I think it's crazy because how do you how do you do that to your friends that did nothing but good things for you? Yeah, they literally gave her a makeover, made her feel more confident and loved and accepted. And then she killed them. I think about these. (sighs) These are some crazy cases today, guys. I'm sorry for this long one. I was going to save that for a mini, but I got really riled up. And I was like, I got to do it when I'm in the heat of the passion. The heat of the passion? Sounds like. All <laughs> right, Let me know. What are your thoughts on this one? I mean, I have no words. I guess I have no words for the police and Vera's situation. And then I have no words for Christine. She's a shit human. I get it. Life was tough, but shitty, shitty. And I hope you guys enjoyed. Let me know. And I'll see you guys this weekend for the mini suit. Bye.